0: Hey, everyone. I am here with Katie Herzog. Hello, Katie. Hello, Jesse. Uh, This is going to be a different episode. Basically, it is going to be sad, it is going to be personal in a way I'm not usually comfortable with. I will explain in a minute. This is not going to be a fun episode. It's going to be possibly difficult listening, and we'll be back to normal with our next episode. This is going to be different. Um, So, uh, yeah, Katie, are you ready to get sad? I have been looking forward to this.
1: I haven't had a good cry in a long time. I'm hoping that this will be the day.
0: I think our podcast makes a lot of people sad, but usually it's unintentional. So this is maybe a, a change for us.
1: Yeah. Grab the hankies, everybody.
0: Uh, okay. So my mom died last week and this was not unexpected. It stemmed from a cancer diagnosis in September and I have not... Told anyone except some friends, and I mean, obviously, family about that. And I've recorded this podcast a bunch of times as like a really nice escape from that and not talked about it at all and felt progressively weirder. Uh, I continued doing that even after she died because it was just nice to do work. Honestly, it felt like, um, you know, uh, a way to avoid this stuff. But I, I wanted to just explain what happened in part because some of this is like stuff people don't talk about and feel uncomfortable talking about. And I think that's part of the problem. And I, I feel uncomfortable talking about it. And my, my brothers were a little bit hesitant for me to talk about some of it. Uh, is that enough mysterious throat clearing, do you think, or should I just continue in this vein for like 40 more minutes?
1: <laughs> I think we're good there. Um, I thank you for doing this. I know this is going to be difficult. It'll be difficult for you. It'll probably be harder for me. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm what you call an empath. Do you know what an empath is? And I uh, I really feel other people's emotions, so I can already feel
0: myself. <laughs> <laughs> I would have put you at the end, opposite <laughs> end of that particular spectrum, but... Uh, <laughs> oh God. Uh, so I look, I'm, I'm going to edit this episode. I'm not, I feel weird about like trying to make it flow and removing. I mean, there might be more mouth noises than usual is what I'm saying. I hope you like them. I'm not, obviously I'm not going to subject you, the listener to like grief porn to like sobbing in your ear. If I need to take a break, I will. But beyond that, it's going to be a little bit more raw than usual. Um, my mom's name was Sydney Altman. She was born on Lower East Side in 1949. She left school early. Same year as, Sorry, my,
1: same year as my mom. Oh, really? Yeah. And your
0: dad's a little older, right?
1: Yeah, he's a little older, but 1949 for my mom.
0: We don't have the same mom, right?
1: Uh, she wasn't born on the Lower East Side. She was born in New Jersey, so no.
0: Nearby. We could have been friends. Um, uh, yeah, my mom, uh, she left school early to go to Harper College, I think it was called then, SUNY Binghamton now. Um she got a PhD in clinical psych. Uh, she like very I think
1: my mom like- might have gone to SUNY Binghamton too. Are you serious? Yeah,
0: that's weird. This is getting <laughs> very creepy. This is like a Twilight Zone episode. Um, I'm gonna
1: text her and make sure she's al- she's alive.
0: She, she was like a it was like a very sort of boomer story. She grew up like until she was 11. I believe she shared a room with what would be three younger brothers. You can imagine what that's like to be a 10 year old girl with with three younger brothers sharing a room. Um, but she became a psychologist. She worked in Boston. She met my dad apparently accidentally. My understanding is someone was like, oh, yeah, bring that guy to the party. You know, the guy. And the person brought the wrong guy, but it was my dad.
1: Wow, <laughs> uh, that's the Jesse Syngal Orson story. It happens over <laughs> a mistake for some reason. I'm not surprised about this.
0: Right, exactly. It sounds about right. Um, my mom, in her 40s, got into Harvard Law. And she went to Harvard Law, and my grandma came to live. With, yeah, she. My grandma came to live with us uh, to help out. Grandma Shavy, thank you, Grandma, and. My mom was, like, really weird about, like, class and and um, credential. She was skeptical of authority, which definitely trickled down to me and is a big part of, of stuff I've written recently. So, like, when my dad would try to brag about her going to Harvard Law, she would be like, no, don't mention that, um, which is interesting to me and telling. And, and you certainly yeah, she, didn't get
1: that yell, man.
0: <laughs> I mean – as the uh, a holder of three PhDs from Stanford, Yale, and Harvard, you know I, I want people to know that. Um, but yeah, look, I part of this story is like I, I lost sight of of who my mom was. But she was a very warm person, a very loyal friend. She was not someone who needed to be surrounded by huge numbers of people. But since she died, I've just heard a lot of stories. Um, one of which was a, a friend, uh, roommate of hers on the Upper West Side his sister had fallen in with some cult, like a literal cult that turns people against their parents. And this guy who's now friends with my dad came to my mom for help and said that she was like the person explaining how to like gently, carefully sort of nudge his sister toward deprogramming. And I don't know, I just thought that was like a very, it just made me think of like some of the stuff I've written and stuff and and to be that kind of presence in someone's life. Um, okay, so this is the part that is harder to talk about is like the last 10 years of my mom's life, particularly since her dad died about a decade ago. um, The story she told was that that led to her getting very depressed and she suffered from really bad depression for basically the last decade of her life, coupled with crippling headaches, which is not a fun uh, combination. So part of the reason this has been so hard for me is like, I, I, my mom was like this really incredible accomplished not that not that it would hurt any less if she wasn't accomplished but she was she was like brilliant and wonderful and warm but I you know I'm 37 now in the last 10 years of my life i've I've known her basically as someone who's like suffered a great deal and is sort of a victim and that's one of the many things that has um sucked about this whole thing it's like that your your sort of most recent memories of someone might win out and I I have fewer memories of her like, as she as she was usually. Um, all right. So should I tell the the? I'm sure this isn't depressing enough yet. Should I tell the the actual cancer story? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. So in September she was like basically having <coughs> excuse me like uh almost a crisis with her depression, frankly, and that l- led to her. On top of that, being diagnosed with stage four lung cancer, that means it spread to multiple organs. It was in her brain. It was in her bones. So I went home and I saw my mom in the hospital and, uh, having just been diagnosed with stage four cancer on top of treatment resistant depression, which is just like cartoonishly horrible. And, um, it, the, if, so if you have certain kinds of stage four cancer, they take a biopsy of it and they'll run it through sort of a genetic sequencer. Let's call it a genetic sequencerizer. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh and if you get really lucky, there will be a targetable mutation. There'll be some feature of the of the DNA of the cancer that they have these like sort of wonder drugs for. So it used to be if you have stage four cancer, you're you're probably not gonna be alive for like a year. It's just, I mean, it's that bad. It's stage four, but um, she got really lucky. She had what's called an EGFR mutation. Uh, specifically one called EGFR L861Q. It's like a rarer submutation. And if you're if you're white, you only have like a and you have stage four cancer, you only have like a one in five chance of having this. For some reason, Asians have it more. But what this meant is like instead of having to go straight to chemo, she could take a pill that would, in theory, uh, keep the cancer at bay for a while or even shrink it. And uh, on average, these pills work for about a year and a half. They keep the cancer under control for a year and a half. And I think that's like once you get into. Have you had? I mean, you don't have to cancer? share. but yeah, have you had run like family or friend run-ins with cancer?
1: Um, nobody super close to me, um, or at least not since I've been an adult. I've had yeah. I've had people die of it that I'm close to, but not when not to the point where I was close to them and like involved in their treatment.
0: Right. Um, the what it does to your conception of time almost immediately is just like profoundly fucked up because a year and a half doesn't sound like a lot of time and it isn't, but in the context of like having cancer spread throughout your body, including into your brain, the idea of prevent—they uh, call it pro- progression-free survival—how long you'll be around without the cancer progressing—and the drug my mom was on, uh, Tegrisso or uh, Osimertinib, I think it's called, like you on average or the median is a year and a half of the cancer just being stable at least, which is all sort of all they can hope for. It does shrink sometimes, but that's less usual. But, um, so in theory, on paper, you know, we were hoping for at least a year and a half of the cancer not progressing. And there are these crazy commercials for Tigriso and other drugs where you have these like really fit, well-put-together older couples, like in their 70s, who look much healthier than either of us, although we're podcasters, so <laughs> you, yeah. you got a grade on a curve. And they're like, you know, holding hands on the beach and having nice dinner parties with their friends and and the whole... Advertising spiel is more time, which I think is like, it's healthier than pretending they can cure stage four cancer, which they almost always can't. But it, it suggests that, I mean, it's advertising, but it's like, you're like, oh yeah, you'll be able to like have more meaningful time with your kids and your spouse. And what has sucked so profoundly about this is like, we just didn't have meaningful time because she had so many other issues and the mental health issues were, it's just like very optimistic to think that after a diagnosis of stage four cancer, you can like travel the world and stuff. And I don't, um, I don't know. I think we were, we were too hopeful on that front. Um, are you having fun so far?
1: This, (laughs) this is exactly what I wanted to do on a Friday.
0: Um, so, part i i I want to talk about this in part because i just i do want to chip away at the stigma of it a little like i don't really see why i should feel bad or weird about acknowledging that my mom had severe depression uh and that it had a terrible impact on her um what what is that thing where like it feels embarrassing why like how do you even explain why i should feel embarrassed by that
1: well it's your mom so that's one thing. It's, you know, there's, I'm sure that you have concerns over her privacy and the privacy of your family. That's totally legitimate. Um, but there's also this sort of irony where, you know, you feel uncomfortable about talking about it. You're embarrassed about it. Um, and yet, you know, we spend our lives online where it's become very destigmatized to talk about, talk about depression. And in fact, there's a lot of, uh, I think, Opting sort of opting in to uh, to, to psychiatric <laughs> labels um, because there's very incentives to do so. But your mom is your mom's case was clearly incredibly serious.
0: Yeah, and it do, I think unless I implicitly subconsciously viewed it as some sort of moral or spiritual failing, which I know I don't because it's not, and because I have half her genes, although I've been lucky to sort of, like, escape the worst of them. I don't know why I would be embarrassed. It sucks to me that anyone in our family or that I should have to feel embarrassed about that. But anyway, that's what it was. So I started in September when she was diagnosed. I started – we got the good news that she had this mutation. She started the drugs. We have every possible uh, benefit of of, – Privilege of of having her have access to good care. Her oncologist has like ridden the studies uh, about some of these drugs, and I start bouncing back and forth between ba- uh, Brooklyn and my hometown because as of now, we still think that she could be alive for years, and I I feel torn because I want to maintain some um, aspect of my normal life. My parents are like adamant that I try to do that, but uh, and you're finishing your book. The book was basically done. I had to do a lot of like, yeah, pre-publication bullshit. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of that. There was um, this podcast, which is horribly traumatic to record and a huge drain on all my emotional resources just from your abusive emails alone. Of course. Um, <laughs> I did tell you, uh, I mean, just for the record, I did tell you about this and you were very understanding. And it repeatedly said if I need to take time off, I should. But I, I don't know. I've escaped by like – I don't think I've missed any podcast episodes or newsletters. It's, it has felt like a relief. But uh, so the point is – You were nine months late on your rap, but <laughs> – <laughs> Yes, I did. <laughs> Bob, I can't comfort you <laughs> with your terminal t- cancer diagnosis. I need to do my replication crisis <laughs>
1: So, but that is that is part of the reason it took so long. So when you didn't tell people this, you could have come out with this and you could have said, you know, my mom is dying. I'm not going to get you your fucking rap. And you didn't do that.
0: <laughs> yes, I should have played that card much more yeah. in so many different <laughs> settings. Um,
1: yeah, uh, when Jude Doyle was was uh, tweeting that you were harassing trans women, you should have come back immediately come back with this.
0: Oh, Jesus. I mean, I will say, and um, this, this good Uh, basketball writer at the ringer, Jonathan Sharks, who was like fucking I think he's in his 30s and he's a one year old. He was just diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and he made the most obvious point which is treat people well. You don't know what they're going through. So I'm not I'm sure I have said shitty things online to people having no idea what they're going through. It's just it's worth keeping in mind. It's not I don't think it's applicable to my situation because I didn't say anything about it and it's fine. Um, But uh, I started bouncing back and forth between Brooklyn and my hometown. And when I was there, all I could really do was just sort of lie with her in her bed and try to help my dad out and try to talk to her. And and one of the things I feel really guilty about, and this is maybe where there's like some kernel of meaning to drag out of this that would help other people, is like I... I didn't um, fully internalize how precarious her situation was, and i it was hard to lie there with her and to really provide her comfort because her mood was so low and the situation was so horrible. And I did not understand how limited the time might be. And i I would frankly, I would do everything I could to spend some time with her, but I would also you know, hang out outdoors with Boston friends, which I greatly appreciated. And I would go for long walks and I didn't always squeeze every moment out of it that I could. And I don't know, it's hard to actually be there present with someone ailing like that in any situation, but you add the depression on top of it. And what's so insidious about that is it just depression and anxiety, which she also had like, they really, um, they can drive a wedge between people even in situations where you would just think your love and connection like should win out it's just i don't i'm not going to get into details but i think people can use their imaginations to imagine what that combination of a of a stage 4 diagnosis and depression does to your ability so i feel guilty i should have um i don't know what does should have mean i mean like yeah yeah
1: i i mean you know i'll tell you what i what i told your brother um I texted your brother after, uh, after you told me that your mom died. And I said, you know, I'm sure your mom, as, as hard as it was, she appreciated that she had, you know, successful, handsome, sweet boys and also you. Um, you said handsome
0: <laughs> instead of hot.
1: <laughs> but seriously, you, You've changed your entire life to go be with your mom. So even if you feel guilty for not being there every moment, you did something that I don't think a lot of young people in their 30s would have done. Um, you did something really, really important. And as guilty as you feel, I think you should at least acknowledge that for yourself.
0: Oh. I did what I could. I, do you have, I meant to get some of the texts from my brother. Do you, cause there were some really good, you guys were roasting me. And I <laughs> can you pull, can you pull those up? Yeah, sure. And read some of them just as a little, a light intermission. It was really, it was actually really good.
1: <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> I'm a horrible person. I waited like an hour after you told me before I texted Alex, I think, or maybe, maybe not that long, <laughs> maybe 20 minutes. Um, uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. I said, Alex, I'm so sorry. I'm sure your mom is so proud to have one cool, handsome, interesting son. And also Jesse. <laughs> um, and he said, thanks Katie. That's very kind. Also fills me with feelings of superiority over my brother, which is far, far preferable to grief. Um, and then I said, such a shitty, shitty thing you've all had to go through, but it's really impressive you've all put your lives on hold for her, for your mom. Such sweet boys, except for Jesse, of course. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I think we all did right by her except for Jesse and that she would be proud of us <laughs> except for Jesse for being there when she needed us most. Except for Jesse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and
1: then he said something about your a- but we'll keep that private.
0: I'm going to bleep that out. I just don't. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh yeah, it we there was a lot of morbid humor in part because well, let me just get through the rest of the chronology and then I'll I'll get to the morbid humor. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so I I I get what you're saying. I appreciate it. I did try to be a good son. I just um we basically early on we the first okay, so once you have a stage 4 cancer diagnosis and you're on these drugs, you have to get your fucking body and brain scanned every 6 weeks to see if the cancer spread. So just you have this like sort of Damocles hanging over you. And um, we got the good news. She had the mutation. She could not really – we were trying to like give her hope and to make her feel better, and she couldn't really be receptive of that because of where she was, which was really difficult because we did feel hope. And then the first scan was really good. The uh, I guess the primary tumor in her lung really shrunk a lot. Um, and the brain – metastases, as they call them, shrunk considerably. Uh, at one point, they were almost gone. The way these drugs work is inevitably, inevitably, the cancer mutates and builds up a resistance to these drugs. It turns out cancer is difficult to cure. Did not know that. Um, so when I say like to Grisso, uh, you get a year and a half of progression-free survival time. On average, that's because inevitably something goes wrong. The cancer will just pop up. Uh, yeah, so... The reason I could be like, well, I, you know, it's too difficult to like spend that much time with my mom now. I'm gonna go for a walk is like we didn't really think she was going to die that soon. And we thought like that that part of it was down the road. Um basically what happened is without going into too much detail, is in early February her physical and mental health just nosedived even as the cancer was still under control. And we took her to, or we had an ambulance come and take her to Mass General Hospital, and she was there like I think March. God, she was there a very long time because all these health problems popped up. But the um the long and the short of it is, uh, I I saw her. I was there. This one the probably the worst night of my life. I hope it's the worst night of my life when when she like really nosedived and when she went to the hospital that morning, and then um. I didn't see her again for a while combination of COVID. I, I think my dad trying to be a good dad and like shield me from it. I, because I, I couldn't visit her because of the tight COVID protocol at first. I went back to Brooklyn for a little bit, eventually came back. And the next time I saw her, she was like, um, cognitively, she did not really recognize me. And, or she did a little, she smiled, but like, she, she didn't really know who she, I was in terms of, um, being able to like understand rich details of who I was or who she was. So she just like, this wasn't even cancer related. We don't think we don't, they don't know what happened. It was a combination of uh, catatonia as they call it and delirium. So yeah. um, So that's what I mean when I say like I, I even whatever stuff I could have said to her or comfort I could have lent. I, I didn't know in, you know, October, November, December. I remember I, there January watching the Super Bowl with my dad and my brother making food for my mom. Uh, at any of those points, I could have, I feel like I could have talked more. And if anyone had told me there's a chance, just given the precarity of her situation, that everything's just going to go to hell very soon, uh, you know, I would have done more, but there's no way to know. I also, I ended up apologizing, not apologizing. Okay, not, not long after, she, she had eventually... I'm compressing a lot of stuff. She comes home from MGH to enter home hospice. Uh, you know the basics of what hospice is, right? Yeah. It just, it sort of means you're not, you're not going to aggressively treat the thing anymore. You're basically going to try to make someone more comfortable and you're, you're basically, um, you know, you're waiting for them to die. So we were, in a sense, lucky. Um, that we could do home hospice. Because as as the doctors at MGH were just like, there's we don't we can't figure out exactly what's happening with her cognitively. We just sense, you know, she might not have that long, and that aggressively treating the cancer isn't adding to her quality life of life at all. And I am one thing I'm grateful for is that I think in 2021 Americans are a little bit better about that stuff. Like we don't deal with death well in general, but I'm grateful there were doctors, um, who would just like tell us straight up. Like we don't, we don't think we're helping her because it's very tempting to think that like, you know, they'll find something they can do to help. But at this point she like, um, she wasn't herself. Actually, can I tell you about the single weirdest day in the hospital? Yeah. Yeah. The first day I saw her, she was like, she smiled and she was happy to see me and she sort of knew who I was, but she was agitated from one other thing I'm a little grateful for is like from then on, for like maybe the last month plus of her life, she was peaceful. She really was. It was like she had just slipped into some other state, but I had this conversation with her where she had like access to basically her full vocabulary and not remembering words had been this horrible thing she'd gone through during this, but she's using this rich, sophisticated vocabulary but she's like sort of embodied someone else. So I would like try to, she's like talking about herself in the third person. It's like talking to someone who's on a hallucinogen, a dissociative drug or a hallucinogen. And I'm having this conversation and she's going in depth, depth to me and my dad about someone else and her relationship with that person. But it's just nothing we can latch onto, but she's talking about it in such rich, vivid detail. that it's just like, it was so weird, but it wasn't, it wasn't, it was, like, genuinely it was fascinating, whereas most of this had just been horrible. And um, we would occasionally, even when she was in this state of just not being herself and not remembering herself, we'd get these little flashes of her that were just, like, rapidly fading. And one of them was, uh, you know, we're in this hospital, and she mentioned she wants to go downstairs to do something. And my dad's like, honey, there's there's no downstairs. We're not at home. And she looks at him, she goes, semantics. <laughs> <laughs> and then this this other time I, I was I reached a like almost a journalistic point where she was calm enough that I I was genuinely curious what it was like to be her in that moment and she wasn't distressed and my questions weren't bothering her. So I was trying to like suss out if she understood she was dying or understood she was in the hospital. So at some point I was like I was like trying to I was like, so do you you know, do you get where you are? Do you understand what's happening? Um and at some point just the way the conversation went, I was like you know, you you have to admit this is pretty weird. And she just looks at me and she goes, well, duh. (laughs) And that might have been like the last, like, truly Sidney Altman sentence I heard from my mom. Duh. Uh, duh. Um, So we take her home and she's in a hospital bed in our family room and um, a bunch, her relatives from New York come up, a bunch of her, my parents have these great friends they've had since decades. They're talking about you know parties they went to when they were forty. I can remember my dad's fortieth birthday, which is fucking weird because I'm not far off. Um, and everyone gets to sit with her and hold her hand, but she's not. She's not really responsive. She's gone as far. Like I don't think she, as in my mom, has been around for months at this point, and that can maybe explain why I'm not melting down here, um, but it's just weird to just be in a room with someone who's not themselves anymore, and who is dying, but I think it's important, it was important people got to say goodbye, but what I kept telling them was, like, I felt so bad that I, you know, if I would had any fucking clue that in February, she wouldn't be herself much longer, and would just, like, fall off this psychic cliff, I would have, um, told them, so they could have, like, a last meaningful conversation with her or something, instead of, like, saying goodbye to someone who was a bit of a shell at that point, but, um,
1: How could how could you not know, Jesse? (laughs) Yeah,
0: I know exactly. My my diagnostic uh, (laughs) prowess failed me.
1: You have seventeen medical degrees. How could you not know this is possible? Um, I did a piece a few years ago about um, about natural burial, and I interviewed a guy who, out in uh, in Seattle, who his 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 father had he had had cancer. And before they had, so they hired a woman to come in and, and sit with them all, sit with the family and sort of talk them through what was going to happen because he decided he wanted to die at home and then he wanted to have this natural burial. And so they had, they, they really talked about it, you know, the whole family and all the friends sitting around. And then the guy died at home and they put his body on ice and they had him there for three days. And I talked to his son, maybe like two months later, and his whole experience of death was so different than anybody's. And I, I, spoke, to his, I spoke to his wife, to her, his partner. And like going through the process, acknowledging it, and sitting with the body, it was like they were on a high-speed rail of getting past grief because they'd gone through this intense, intense experience, and they'd really done it together and figured it out. And I thought that was, you know, it's sort of the opposite of what we do in the U S but I thought it was such a sort of hopeful way of thinking about this.
0: Uh, yeah. And that got me thinking about, um, I, I've been wondering about that because I, after she died, like it, I felt a little bit, every emotion I felt about this is like a little bit shame, but then I realized that's stupid. So I, I felt relief when it actually happened. Cause we were like there for the whole thing. And, same thing. We could sit with the body, um, and the fact that I don't. I'm back. I'm back in New York now. I know my dad's fine. My dad's with my brothers, and I'm curious. Just you know, whether being there for every step of the process and seeing the reality of it, I'm curious whether that does make it a little bit easier. Um, just because I, I, it was so clear by the end that there was this is different because it's also the cognitive thing but it was so clear that it just well there wasn't any of her left that it's like maybe just like the fucking grim material reality of it i don't know but i i i've been obviously a wreck and sad and worse insomnia than usual because my my mom died but i i i don't necessarily feel like i slipped into some pit i guess i'm worried that maybe like i haven't It doesn't make sense yet, or I haven't acknowledged it, and the pit is yet to come. But I'm – yeah, when you told me about that, I was thinking about the exact same thing of, like, maybe part of the reason hospice is good, if you're in the situation where you can do it, which not everyone is, um, is your final days or or moments with a person aren't in the fucking hospital, like, with tubes everywhere and everything. Yeah. Yeah,
1: especially during COVID.
0: Yeah, that did not – I mean by the end it wasn't as big a deal because like – because my family's age bracket and being in – mass, like everyone had been vaccinated. But that definitely along the way was an obstacle. Also like I, I just have to say the fucking – the difference between just the, the, the nurses and health aides were all so like wonderful and like heroic. And I – you know, some of the doctors were too but I'll never forget – the first time she was in the hospital, there's this like hotshot. I want to say he was a psychiatrist. I don't remember. I'm sure I could look up his name if I wanted, so I'm not going to do that. But he's bedside with my mom. We haven't even done the genetic sequencing. We don't know what her treatment options are. We know she's very depressed. She has stage four cancer. At the end of their conversation where he's updating her, he goes, we are going to get you better. Ugh. I'm just like, dude, fuck you. Like yeah. seriously, I that made me so mad. And a couple of my – a couple of my running. Let's do a news. call out, Jesse. Let's get him canceled. <laughs> Check out my Twitter thread. On, it's just like I know, but I had such a fucking fuck you to that because you don't know that, and and you know that was in September, and it's April, and she's dead, and that was a, always going to be a possibility. Um, they also, it's it's almost an aside because because by the time we send her to home hospice, the cancer was not even the most severe issue. It was just everything else. They thought the cancer was under control, but for what it's worth, the cancer drugs had stopped working and like her brain mets had come back and spread. So the cancer was, was winning anyway by the time she died. But, um, yeah, it's, um, so did she die of the cancer? I think that's well, she had developed hydrocephalus, which I think is like swelling and water in the brain. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I forget what, I think it's just swelling. God.
1: Oh God, I, but, the human body. It's so fucked up. It's
0: awful. We need to get rid of them.
1: Sometimes my wife, my nurse wife will describe just like body things, like procedures that she does at work and stuff. And I have to ask her to stop. The human body is, it's because it, it's too real. It's too real.
0: It's just this weird cobbled together thing. Like evolution doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense. And it's just can like so many things can go wrong. Um, so yeah, I don't, I guess technically she died of the cancer, but it, 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 I don't know. She had everything wrong with her as well. Jesse. It's
1: hard for me to be nice to you, but I'm so sorry this happened. Do you want to mention what happened three days later?
0: Three days later. Yeah, it's like this is like fucking (laughs) my dad. So my dad is sitting shiva at our house. That's like the Jewish morning thing where you have people come over and and bring you food. People did bring us amazing food, by the way. I think I gained a lot of weight. So thank you. Um, My dad's. Ninety-eight-year-old mom, my grandma, she dies three days after, and it's crazy that I just like backgrounded it, but but for complicated reasons, I wasn't as close with her. But my dad, uh, she all uh, she had also just entered hospice herself, but they didn't expect it to be that soon. But my dad lost his wife and his mom within f- three days, which is just like it's I don't cruel. Know. I just I'm I early on in this, I told my girlfriend like I was a little bit jealous of religious people because totally. I, I think if you're like us it's just so like when it okay first of all this was not but you know this a version of this happens to everyone but when it does happen you just realize the the precarity and how horrible things can be and just the amount of suffering my mom endured and there's no there's no lesson what's what's the more the morals are all obvious it's like i uh, try to care for people who are in distress and and communicate with people when you can but it's just like it's all awful. I mean, maybe that's part of why I want, I want to think about my mom more as like a person who lived, um, you know, almost 72 years. Her birthday was, is, well, whatever. I can leave that out. Uh, uh yeah.
1: don't you wish you could force yourself to believe?
0: Yes. Yeah, I do. This idea that there's like oh, but like that, but it's like a childish fantasy. I mean, whatever. Everything's a childish fantasy. There's this whole existing thing is very, very, very weird, and we're not going to understand it. And I don't begrudge people um, choosing to believe in stuff or having belief shoved down their throats at a young age because it's really hard otherwise. Like I, I I don't know. And I've always, um, yeah. You could. I just felt for a lot of this like I was sort of. Dancing at the edge of a black hole, and that I risk falling in, and and again, just genetically, my mom. This didn't get really bad till she was much significantly older than I am now. So I'm always gonna be, you know, I think I'm gonna be okay. I only have half her genes on the other side, but my parents, uh, my dad's side is so much is just much. My dad is just like the most extroverted optimistic happy guy and this is of course devastated him but unlike me when he's surrounded by 30 people wishing him well he get he feeds off that and is energized by it in a way i'm not as much as i appreciate having that network like i i don't know i can't it's just hard for me my all my introverted tendencies um pop up in times like this and i felt like a lot of i sent uh, email updates to like um you know, fifteen-ish people, friends from like different times of my life. And a lot of them said, like, if you ever want to talk about it, we can. And I just I had trouble with that, which I don't know how much of that is like a male thing or just like it's not how I communicate. I, I would much more You
1: communicate via podcast.
0: Via podcast, right. I just I'll save it all for the podcast. And I would I would just be much more likely like go for a five mile walk and just like listen to music or listen to podcasts and just I, I don't know. That's how I process stuff. And I, I think maybe one other aspect of this conversation that would be useful to crack open a little bit is just people really react so differently to this. And it isn't automatically. I think the people who showed up for our Shivas really helped my dad in like this vital way. And for him, it was so important, but not everyone responds to this stuff the same way. And maybe it's just a matter of like being like, I'm here if you want to talk, which is what my friends did. And it, it just, I didn't always take them up on that, but I, I, just like going out to eat outside with friends and like my friend Thomas and his incredible dog going for a walk with them and then going to a beer garden message I don't know all that shit helped a lot but it was mostly just like by distraction I wasn't like trying to work out the site the cosmic meaning of my mom's death or anything it's just like I'm really I'm I'm very lucky overall I, I I don't know this is all, every, like I went 37 years without anything remotely like this happening to me. Um What can you say? It happens to everybody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you have a podcast.
0: Most importantly, I had a podcast, which my mom, she was proud of. She was proud of me. Did she listen to I,
1: your podcast?
0: She did sometimes, yeah. yeah. Um. And she, I got a huge amount of my, like I said, my distrust of authority. I think she was just like, you know, intellectually wide ranging, which I aspire to be. Um, she, yeah, I'm going to talk more to her friends and try to get a better grasp on who she was beforehand. Cause I don't, I don't have enough of those good memories in part. Cause like my brothers were much, well, one of my brothers is four and a half years younger. The other is almost two years younger. So it's like they were just more of their adulthood was when she was healthier. And I, yeah, I just don't like the idea of remembering her the way I've seen her most recently, but I think in the long run, uh, I won't. I also like, I would just, especially after she was diagnosed, it was just like putting my own mental health through the ringer. So I would just hopscotch from like neurosis to neurosis. So first I became convinced my mom, my dad was going to die. I don't, I don't know where that came from. It just like popped in my head. He was just going to die in the midst of this catastrophe. And then my mom would have to deal with that on top of everything else, which didn't happen. I also got like weird psychosomatic stuff where like, my stomach or my chest or my ability to swallow at my craziest, I this is so fucking crazy. Um, okay. If you Google X cancer symptom, it turns out literally everything is a cancer. symptom. Oh, I've There's done th- it. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you're the exactly the kind of fucked up broken person yeah. who would do that. What did you Google?
1: Well, I'm a diagnosed hypochondria hypochondriac. I, uh, I diagnose everything. I'm, I'm daily convinced that I have cancer.
0: Anything, anything is like everything is a cancer symptom. And I would unfortunately be on the cancer subreddit just like trying to research my mom's condition. Of course, every – because it is the place people go for support, every fucking post was like, I'm a 25-year-old marathon runner and I had a slight soreness in my right shoulder. uh, And then I had – Shoulder cancer. Yeah. Yeah, stage four cancer. I have that. And 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 that does – there's like a forty percent chance of someone getting cancer in their lifetime. It is a much, much, much bigger risk when you're in your fifties and up. Forty
1: percent.
0: Happen- yeah, isn't that horrible? That's what the fuck? Government- I know, I know. What what is, what is in the air? What's in it's the
1: awful. milk? What's in the it's Jesus the- Christ? Is it our Podcast cell phones? Waves. Yeah.
0: I think it's just like it's like one little. Genetic mistake goes wrong. It's just I think it's just easy for cells to become cancer. It's weird. Like some animals are apparently totally immune from cancer, but it's like think of how many cell divisions there are, and how one little thing goes wrong, and there's a few cells in one part of your body, and it spreads throughout your body, and then that's it. Because it's so. The other thing is lung cancer is often very hard to notice. You don't get like breathing symptoms until. I don't need to freak people out. The point <laughs> is. I, I want to- I'm starting to sweat. You, you listening to this probably have cancer is what I'm saying. Um, I would literally at one point – so I, I I stayed sane by, go, by running a lot. I don't run long distances. I'll run three or four miles, but I, I've been doing it probably five times a week plus just because I'll, I'll go fucking crazy otherwise. And because I can't play basketball because of COVID. Actually, until – uh, next Saturday is my anniversary, my two week vaccine thing, which would be a huge relief. So I would run a lot, but I was very, I was slower, even slower than usual, which like, as my mom would say, duh, a, <laughs> I have all this fucking psychological shit going on. B, I've gotten fatter during all of this because who hasn't? And because of the mom, like the pandemic and my mom's cancer, um, so at one point I literally went back through my Fitbit thing to like see what my times had been like last summer versus now because I was worried that because I was running slower, that suggested some respiratory problem that suggested cancer. That's where my brain was. So um, I was able to usually talk myself out of this stuff, but it just it it so affected my like physical sense of myself that that like everyone knows mind and body are connected, but I, I think I had underestimated that. But um I don't, I think I'm fairly healthy other than all the shit I ate, but it, it was just fucking, there was one, there was one day in particular I always remember. It was like, New England was obnoxiously gorgeous during the worst parts of this in the fall. Like it was the most brilliant autumn I remember when my mom was, after she was first diagnosed. And then when I was just back there for her to die, everything just bloomed Brilliant. It's just, I hated how fucking beautiful everything was, but I would go on these long walks. And one day I basically didn't sleep at all because I was up all night, torturing myself thinking about my dad dying which is again just bizarre and something happened to me to my body and to like my brain where I I went on a long five mile walk but it felt I felt 40 pounds heavier which is a cliche but it's true and I couldn't get this was the one day like this so I don't want people to think I, I was like like this for a long time but I couldn't get a few words out without feeling like I was gonna start crying and I realized like this is probably what it feels like or has felt like to be my mom or to be someone with like severe depression, not like my everyday bullshit. i sometimes get sad or I sometimes think the universe is pointless or I'm sometimes anxious, but like to carry that around all day. And it was just, I'll never forget that feeling of, of feeling like I was walking around with like carrying rocks and not being able to talk. And luckily it just lasted a day. And it was a combination of like a lack of sleep and anxiety and shock. But like, I don't know. I think it helped me appreciate what what people like my mom have been through. And it's just it's a nightmare. I, I understand why people don't want to live like that. So
1: see silver like, linings here. You're such an optimist.
0: Yeah, exactly. You came to an we,
1: understanding.
0: Thanks to my experience, I've decided to cure cancer, depression and bad uh, bedside manner on the part of doctors.
1: What if it turned out that this whole episode was just a lead up to a pharmaceutical ad?
0: I was able to get very lucrative. Tried to Grisso. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Let me try to think if there's anything else I want to say. Um, Generally, like it's weird to have, I think especially since this podcast started, we do have like sort of, you know, miniature public personas, for lack of a better word. It's like there's something very parasocial about the podcasting thing. I have not generally shared any personal details about anything in my life. The only exception, like some of the Internet rumor mongering shit that really got to me. I talked about that, frankly, but it it feels weird to say this. It also feels it does feel a little bit cathartic because it just wasn't. Like we, this was printed in the fucking, we had uh, obituaries printed. I got one email. I forgot to respond from a listener who just threw like our synagogue had found out. So it was going to get out and I felt like I should talk about it. Um, I'm not, I'm, I, it does, it feels weird to share this privately. I hope people find it useful. Um, you know, I, I hope people who suffer from mental health problems, I can find some relief. There's often treatment, um, we're going to include a, a link to the uh, charity we asked people to donate to in lieu of flowers for my mom and, and the obituary. But let me just think for a minute if there's anything else I wanted to say. This has been such a fucking, I mean, this has been a worldwide catastrophe. There's 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 millions of stories like this one that don't involve cancer, that involve COVID, but it's just like, I, I'm so just exhausted. Like we make fun of the y'all. <laughs> I, y'all, I'm tired because I'm actually exhausted. Like, just fucking like the the tank is so dry because the the cumulative impact of of just having something like this in the back of your mind all the time and I think that might be part of the reason I did feel a little bit of relief and and I think on balance I do feel better um you know it's technically 10 days after death I think I feel better now than I did 10 days before but I I think that's understandable and
1: well yeah, the worst just, is over now and she's not suffering And there's some solace in
0: that. I find it so difficult to imagine what it must have been like. Her experience, those, those, you know, week and a half in home hospice, increasingly unresponsive, hearing, like, they, if you look this shit up online, they say, like, hearing is the last sense to go. I don't, I think they want that to be true. It would be nice to think. We could talk to loved ones in that situation, but I think it's just based on like some part of their brain lights up when they hear human voices, which doesn't mean anything. But, um,
1: yeah, I mean, she, they probably had her on lots of palliative palliative care. And
0: oh, she was so doped up. On, yeah. Uh, what's yeah. the, um, she was on an opiate, which I was so thankful for because fentanyl? Like, why? No, not fentanyl. It was, um, I forget. Diotin. Di- di- uh, uh, oh, deladen. 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 Yeah. deladen. Um, and, yeah. So I don't know. Um, I guess that's it. I thank you for anyone who listened. I feel better talking about this. I'm, I'm doing fine. Um, you know, the, the, this is <laughs> it would be it's very existential. There's a lot of cool stuff about getting to be alive. Getting to be alive is pretty amazing, but this is, this is the price. This is going to happen to you oh speak
1: for yourself
0: (laughs) you're saying it's not gonna (laughs) happen to you or it's not cool to be alive
1: it's both actually both Um, jesse uh thank you for sharing this um seems like a good time to pitch the patreon (laughs) or you want to skip that this week
0: we're not we're not doing any (laughs) we're not pitching anything no no ads i'm just gonna yeah um uh yeah thank you katie you've been very understanding throughout this it has been um i'm very lucky to have this podcast like i don't know Everything from, from the experience itself, which is always fun, even when you're being a jerk to me, which is always, to uh, the flexibility of it. I could just continue doing my job without feeling that bad about it because it's not – there's so many fucking worse situations I could have been in during this. So thank you, Katie. Um, I uh, – yeah. I, I miss my mom and I just – I wish the last 10 years could have – I she just didn't deserve any of this. No one does. And a lot of people don't deserve a lot of things. But um my family, my dad, Bruce, my brothers, Gabe and Alex, I love you guys. I the way we pulled together, I I feel a fierce sense of pride for that. Uh about that. And my girlfriend Carmen was incredibly supportive. I wasn't always as communicative, <sighs> I can't talk, communicative as I should have been. And um <laughs> Yeah, I just thank you to everyone who's reached out. Of course, only, you know, who have known about this and reached out. I really appreciate it. Even when I haven't responded to emails and I'm very, very lucky to have so many good people in my life. The nurses who took care of my mom in particular. The nurse who was there the night she died is named Mary, who's just like the warmest person I'd ever met. Her son is about to go to I'm going to bleep that out. Her son is about to play D1 football. Uh, she fucking, she's an immigrant here. She comes here, builds a life, has a son who's going to go to an Ivy League school and play football. And hearing that, that was just like, you become such a sap. You need to hear stories like that when you're going through something like this. So I was so glad I met Mary. I'm so thankful uh, I met Mary. I'm thankful we had the resources to make my mom as comfortable as possible. And uh, there's luckily there's a good backlog of internet bullshit. So in the next episode will be... Uh, jeopardy we'll talk about that
1: again. <laughs> something far more important than life and death
0: yeah no thank you thank you to those who've listened to this and I I just I feel physical relief getting it off my chest and I'll be okay and um just take care of people and be kind to people these are cliches but they're just that they're all we have especially if you're like me and Katie and you, you don't really have it in you to believe in anything bigger than that because the universe is just an accident <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I guess that's it.
1: You're a good man, Jesse.
0: I try to be. Thank you, Kitty. You're a good woman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you're lying.
0: Thank you guys for listening. Thank you. We'll be back to normal soon, but I really appreciate it. Bye. Bye.